you're very welcome along. That music signals the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Saturday, it's the middle of September. Porrick, good morning. Indeed. Time is flying. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. And you've brought in a load of apples. I did. I was out in the garden yesterday and I said, look, it's time actually to be picking the apples. So I said, why not bring in a few different varieties okay, in? Okay, what have we and, got? Uh, There's a big bowl of apples now. Yeah, we've it's got a whole mixture. Yeah. I've got a whole mixture of different apples. We've got lovely varieties. Um, Katie which is a, a nice red variety, which mm-hmm. is the, with this one down here. Um, I'm cutting at the moment one, a variety called L-Star. Uh, it's a kind of plum-shaped apple. Now, my, my mother always tells me that I chew quite noisily, so ex- excuse well, me, I'm warning effects. you all in advance before I do this. <laughs> so okay. it's it's the time of year to be picking apples, and particularly the red mm. varieties like Beauty of Bath, um, Katie, uh, they should be picked now because the birds are going to zone in on those apples at the mm. moment and start damaging them. And of course the wasps will start playing problems with, with apples at the moment. So now is the time to be picking apples. Um, some of the cooking apples like Bramley seedlings should be picked possibly a little bit later. Uh, they tend to ripen more towards late September, October okay. um, and often. But the test really is mm. if you can lift the apple in your hand and very gently twist the apple and give it a light tug it should come away in your hand if it's resisting that well then obviously it's not ready for picking but certainly my advice would be to go and pick the red varieties in particular anything with a bit of colour the birds will certainly start to damage those now there's another lovely variety called um James Grieve, which I often recommend because it's a really good pollinator of other okay. apples. But it's got a very good flavour as well, very um, kind of nutty, solid flavour. And uh, okay. try that one as well, see is there any this difference? I'll definitely have my five so. a day by the end of this <laughs> programme today anyway. So really, Deirdre, now is the time to be picking the apples off the tree. The crop this year, you'll notice that they're, they're relatively small this year. Um, the crop just hasn't been as if anything there's been a large amount mm. of fruit but um, not as the fruit isn't as, as large as other years and that's really just down to the season you'll also see on some of the apples there's small little marks yeah. little kind of indentations or marks and you know that little pitting on, on the skin again is very common this year in a wet year but it, it, it doesn't damage the on the apple because no, sometimes you know the way you know the way we get fruit that sometimes in supermarkets and I know it has to be like this is so perfect that, that, we, that we have we kind of have this standard now in our heads that yeah. you know if it's not looking like Absolutely. all gorgeous and shiny and uh, you know not there isn't a dent or yeah. a kind of a mark on it uh, that it isn't right but I in mean, actual point of fact I feel sometimes they're nearly too perfect they are indeed and uh, you know I'd often wonder what they're actually treated with to get them mm. so perfect because apples should naturally enough nature isn't perfect no. and by, by you know and uh, you're going the apples are going to pick up some sort of marks indentations um, and so on during particularly in a year, year like we had this year and there won't be all see that apple yeah. it's not symmetrical it's no. slightly yeah, it's, it's, got it's got a few bumps like <laughs> yeah, myself <laughs> so you know and that's the way um, that's what I would be looking for from apples and you'd see with the flavour of the apples I mean look at the juice just flowing mm. out of those apples they're full of flavour full of juice um, but don't let the small marks put you off because those apples are still perfectly edible. What I would say is any apples that have any sort of bruising or marks, particularly if they fall off the mm. tree and you're picking them up off the ground, try to use those first, like a little bit of bruising okay. on that one there. So that apple should be used mm. first um, because it won't store. And really at this time of year, it's a matter of taking the apples off the tree, cleaning them and then wrapping them up individually into newspaper and storing them maybe in timber boxes or crates in a dark cool location so you know a cellar a dark shed um, somewhere out of light and by wrapping them individually obviously you're going to if one rots it's Mm. not going to rot the entire 
box. And how long will they last for them? They'll generally store for most of some of the varieties, the softer varieties like Beauty of Bath, will only store for maybe four weeks or mm. five weeks, and it tends to get go off then. Some of the other varieties, like the James Green, I have to say that this is gorgeous. This James, variety. Not, the first one was a Katie, was it? So the first one was one called L Star. L Star, yeah. L Star. James Greve you're eating at the moment. That's this red delicious. one here is, is one called Katie. So I cut you a bit of that. Okay, right. right. See what you think. Um, Katie is a lovely variety and does store mm. well. Um, so it's it's quite a good one. Okay. Um, Great. As well. And uh, But yeah, most of the apples will store right through the winter if you keep them well. Mm. If you keep them well. Um, I really like that. Yeah, it's quite a nice one. So that's mm. one called Katie. And really when you're planting apples, it's coming into the time of year. It's a good time to plant apple trees in general and fruit in the garden. And I think I was saying last week that autumn is nature's time to plant, but it's certainly a good time to put fruit trees in the garden. So apple trees, pears, plums, all the top fruit, uh, fruiting cherries and all the soft fruit, gooseberries, blackcurrants, mm. blueberries, for example, strawberries, rhubarb, were coming into the time of year when they should be planted in the garden. So it's not just the time for harvesting, it's also a very good time of year for planting okay. new plants. As and, you reap, you shall sow. And with, with apples, you, you need to be putting in a mixture of three or four different varieties to get good cross-pollination. So varieties, like I mentioned there, that James Greve mm. is a very good pollinator of other trees, as is Katie. It's a very good pollinator. Bramley seedling, the cooking apple, tends to be a very poor pollinator and doesn't pollinate other trees. So it's one that definitely needs two or three other varieties with it so that you get a good set of fruit, okay. uh, in, you know, in, in subsequent years. So I said, I'd bring a few in. It's yeah, the time they're delicious. Thank you very much. And we much. often get questions about, how, you know, how, when mm. to store them, how to store them. So it's, it's simple as that. Clean the fruit, wrap them individually in newspaper, store them in a dark, cold area. Any damaged or bruised fruit, use first use them up first and don't be put off by small indentations small marks on the fruit that's you know that's perfectly natural yeah and you can make some chutneys and stuff like that if you, you want can. to use them up initially if like those more damaged ones you and can then, indeed and yeah. then have the maybe the slightly healthier ones for just for, for, for eating, regular for regular apple eating for eating later yeah. on and remember varieties like brandy seedling they will be later so when you go to pick those off the tree they won't come off readily just yet they'll probably need another four weeks okay. before they start to uh start to ripen. So a good time to plant them. Mm. It's a good time to, to harvest the crop now. And uh, people will notice on the apple trees as well, a lot of marks on the leaves, some scab on the leaves as well. That's just, again, down to the wet weather. Don't fret over any sort of foliage damage that might be on them. They're going to be dropping their leaves in the next four or five weeks. So we'll be coming then into the time of year for pruning them back. Okay. So we might do that in a, la- a later programme. Okay. Just how to trim them back and how to tidy them up for the winter. But for the moment, out for the moment out get harvest. out and pick the fruit because yeah. the birds are going to get your fruit fruit otherwise and the wasps certainly will will any sort of mark on the fruit the wasps will get in and start to do damage on them as well so get out there and start picking them brilliant okay well thank you very much the lovely lovely apple breakfast this go. morning so you can for me your way there for yeah uh, the, other, the other thing i wanted to mention yeah. was just they are hedging weekend so this weekend this weekend uh, saturday and sunday so today and tomorrow we have a special hedging weekend in all our garden centers in galway sligo in westport and in castlebar and really i suppose september is hedging time and i see a lot of people still haven't taken out their old hedges. Yeah, and well, I, I noticed actually a couple of people that live near me and they, I suppose they, they were waiting for maybe the year or two years, but yeah. I, I noticed that they've been very busy over the last couple of weeks, so yeah. Cleaning them out. And, yeah. and now is the time, September is a good time to take out old and damaged hedges, but it's a great time to plant new hedges in the garden. So we have a special weekend this Saturday and Sunday. And I've also done, um, I suppose, something unusual. We've, we've okay. put a range of laurels. This crop... Uh, of laurels, we put them at a very special price for this weekend, so they're reduced by fifty percent for this weekend, just as a oh, wild stocks last. So, 
if people want advice on hedging, they want to see different types of hedging, um, if they want some advice on how to plant and, and what type of hedges will suit seaside areas or uh, exposed open areas or small gardens or whatever, drop down to the garden centre this weekend and we'll give you lots of advice on hedging. Brilliant. Okay, I'm 50% off on the laurels. Yeah. If you if you have a few blank spaces or gaps and you've been meaning to uh, to fill them in, well, that might just be your perfect opportunity. Okay, Boric, we're going to take a little quick break first of all. Loads of questions in already, and uh, we will invite more as well while we're at it. So, 087 941 if you're texting, with thanks to CNC Cellular, where switching your landlines to Vodafone is easy at any of their nine stores across the region. You can call us as well, 0818 is our phone number, and that dedicated email address to is garden, sorry, we're all eating apples, is garden at midwestradio.ie. We're back in a few moments. Now, you're very welcome back. We're just trying to sort through uh, all of the different questions there. Porik, we're going to turn to an email question, first of all, this morning. Uh, now, one side of my lawn is wet. It's about four years old. When I was preparing the area, I got in some topsoil. I have now noticed that there is either scotch grass or sedge grass growing uh, extremely well on the lawn. What do you recommend to do with it and how do they get rid of it? Uh, good morning to Brida. Good morning, Breda. Well, in wet in wet areas, and I suppose this year has been exceptionally wet right through from spring up up until a couple of weeks back. Um, sedges certainly would grow. Sedges of, is is like a grass, but it's a very broad-leafed um, grass type uh, plant that grows in wet areas. So where you get waterlogging, where you get wet soils, sedges can certainly grow, but they tend to be low growing. And and my guess here is this is more annual meadow grass, which is like scutch grass. It grows tallish, more vigorous than than lawn grass and tends to stand out in wet areas and survives very well in the wet area because what's happening with the high level of moisture mm. the the normal lawn grass won't tolerate that and it's dying out what? and annu- annual meadow grass then starts to take over. Now Unfortunately, there isn't a weed killer that you can put on. The traditional lawn weed killers will only kill broadleaf weeds like daisies, dandelions, uh, buttercups. Mm. It won't differentiate between a sedge or scutch grass or annual meadow grass and your lawn. So... If, if Breeder wants to get rid of this, what she needs to do is, is to actually kill off that grass area with some Roundup. That will kill the annual meadow grass and reseed the area. So it's a matter of taking that patch out, uh, marking it out, spraying the entire area. Now, it'll kill everything that's in that, both the annual meadow grass and the lawn grass, and then reseed. It'll take about two weeks to kill that area. Using Roundup or weed, Weed-Free 360 mm. won't contaminate the soil. So within 10 days, two weeks, Breeder can just till over that area and replant some fresh lawn seed. Now, the problem is that if the ground remains wet, which it, it probably has a tendency to stay wet, over the number over the next 6 to 12 or 18 months, you'll probably find the annual meadow grass coming back in. Okay. It'll start to creep back in again over time. So it's the conditions, really, that are causing the annual meadow grass rather than uh, it just being a, pa- a weedy patch. Right. So I suppose long term really the best thing would be try and improve the, the drainage within that area by either putting in a small drain or adding in some sand in through the soil just to improve the drainage because where you get that wet heavy waterlogging you're going to get annual meadow grass. Yeah. And is it difficult to put in a drain like that if somebody has a section, say, of their garden? I'm kind of asking this out for a personal reason too. Um, But if you had an area that is getting a bit waterlogged, soil is heavy generally in the area, 
How difficult is it well, to get that drained? It can be, well, it, it can be a number of things, uh, Deirdre. It can be a fact that the, the lawn is low-lying, so the water is collecting in that mm. area, and you need to put in a small little land drain, which means going down about 15, 18 inches, okay. uh, filling it with stone, putting in a small land pipe like they'd use on land drainage and uh, agricultural drainage right. pipe and then filling that that trench up with a good gritty soil Sorry. mixture of soil, sand, maybe some pebble. So it's nice and gritty so the water that collects in that area can flow into the pipe and flow away. Right. Um, if it's a case that the soil is heavy, which is is often the case, that just the soil that's put in there can be very heavy. So the it, the, the water finds it difficult to penetrate through the soil. So it's lodging on the surface. Mm. That can simply be improved by digging in gritty sand or pebbles, you know, the size of kind of peas into the actual soil. So pea gravel can be added through the soil, rotivated in, and that helps the, the drainage as okay. well. But remember, it's been a very exceptionally wet it has, season. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're, you know, the, the problem of annual meadow grass and sedges tends to be more pronounced this year. So I suppose there isn't a quick solution in terms of a weed killer that will only kill those those uh, uh, wild grasses or sedges without affecting the lawn. So what breeders should do is mar- take out the area, spray it with weed free 360. That won't contaminate the soil. It'll kill the, the, the grass that's there and then reseed that area. But I would add in some pea gravel or some sharp sand into the soil to help the drainage. Okay. So if you improve the drainage, You'll 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 run you know you'll remove the problem of annual meadow grasses and sedges coming into the area. Okay, great. Now somebody's wondering: Is it possible to take cuttings from a Virginia creeper? It is indeed, or often a, an easier way to to um, to propagate Virginia creeper is simply to take a, a branch of the plant and. Uh, pin it down into a pot or into a tray. So like a, like you do with a strawberry runner, just take the stem. What you could do is with, with, with a small knife is just uh, peel away a little bit of the bark on the underside of the Virginia creeper stem, pin it down into a seed tray or into a pot with a, a hair clip or a piece of wire. And when they're about a month to six weeks, that plant will actually have rooted. So you leave it attached to the main stem, but you just pin it down. And you'll often find with Virginia creeper, if it's growing along by soil or by by gravel, it will often root in itself. So it's an easy way to propagate Virginia creeper. So you can take it by cuttings, you can also propagate it by runners, and it will actually propagate from seed as well. Oh, so, so, you know, lots and of options there. Lots then. of options, mm. yeah. Yeah. And a good time to plant Virginia creeper in the garden anyway. Great. Now, we were had questions last week about um, the green, slimy stuff, yes, the yes. kind of algae, I think Nostuck. it is. Nostuck. Nostuck, yeah. yeah. Uh, on uh, the tarmac and cement. Just, could we repeat what we said to get rid of it? Okay, well, just to, to, to remind listeners what Nostuck is, it's that small, bubbly, slimy gel that you'd see on tarmac, Adam, pebble... Gr- Looks like areas. seaweed, I do think. Yeah, it does. It, it, it yeah, And particularly in wet weather, it mm. just swells up and, and becomes that kind of... And it's very slippery and very dangerous. So, to get rid of it, you simply just use magic, you mix it in water, apply it to the area. Day like today would be ideal, a nice dry day, and that'll get rid of any kind of slime or mosses or algae on pathways and driveways. Now remember, patio magic should be only used on hard surface areas, so tarmacadam areas, pea gravel areas, footpaths, walls, that type of thing, to get rid of moss and slime. So that's Nostuck, um, common enough this year because of the wet season, and do get rid of it because even if the weather dries up, I know it'll shrink away, but mm. it'll actually just come back again in November once we go back into wet weather again. Okay, so it's so just waiting, it's waiting for the moisture. It is indeed, yeah, now it's time to treat it, get rid of it. Now someone has two rose bushes, they've okay. never flower, what would be wrong? Should they dig them out? 
Um, well, I think we had we may have had this one last week, um, and the point I was making was that roses need a bright, sunny location. So first of all, if if the area is bright and sunny and the roses aren't performing, then yes, take them out. It's a good time to plant roses. Um, but anytime through the autumn period, roses can be put into the garden to flower next summer. So if it's a bright, uh, open area plenty of sunshine and really reasonably good soil mm. then take out those two plants and replant now I would say that when you're planting roses back into the same piece of soil yeah. just be careful because there is a <clears throat> there is a condition called rose sickness which which basically the, the old roots can affect the new plants going in so a bacteria grows on the old roots of roses so if you dig up an old rose and replant a new variety into the same piece of soil without treating the soil the, the rose will actually um disintegrate it will actually you know it won't flourish because the bacteria in the soil is actually attacking the new roots structure it often happens with pansies as well if you're growing pansies in the same piece of ground year after year this root disease builds up the the simple remedy is to put down a thing called root grow it's small crystals like sugar you add them to the soil and it's a special bacteria that stimulates the growth of all plants not just roses it's actually very good if you're putting in new trees or shrubs or hedging or any plants you're putting into the garden that you want them to get off to a really strong start, the root growth granules added to the soil when planting really stimulate root growth and get the plant flourishing. But particularly very good where you're planting roses into the same piece of ground. So my advice is change the two roses, maybe change a little bit of the soil as well, dig out some of the soil and put it on your veg garden or somewhere else. And then when you're planting your new roses, put in some root grow and that will uh, stop any problems from the previous uh, roses that have that have been in the soil and it'll also stimulate a lot of root growth and you can use that root grow on any newly planted tree or shrub so okay. fruit trees or hedging or anything at all so that hopefully will bring them on yeah it will it will indeed now somebody has got raised beds well this is probably kind of maybe we've answered this a little bit already but uh, raised beds with very heavy soil and slugs how can they improve them now for next spring well I think every garden has slugs this year oh so my it's not, God. Not, don't feel bad that, that uh, <laughs> you know the raised beds and yeah. the heavy soil is attracted to them um, so that's just just you know fact of nature this year slugs and snails have just had a great year yeah. uh, having said that <clears throat> to improve the soil in raised beds is quite simply get yourself some uh, super grow compost so it's a special compost that's ideal for enriching soil and you simply just dig it in and now is a great time of year to do that. You could also add if you had any uh, old mushroom compost or any rotted um, f- uh, garden compost or farmer manure would be ideal as well for adding into raised beds to, to improve the soil. But in particularly the super grow compost you simply just dig it in, spill it on top of the bed, fork it in and that'll help to improve the root structure and make it easier for plants to grow next year. Okay. And but just keep an eye on the slugs. But slugs is just the blue stuff is it? It, well, you can use the slug liquid as well. Mm. I find that very effective. Okay. Um, and again, this time of year, you, you could be using it to start to reduce the the, the population of slugs. Yeah, can, is, can you kind of halt the life cycle a little oh, bit? Oh, you can, of course, yeah. break the life cycle. And, right. and now is a good time of year to do that. And the slug liquid is very good in that you don't actually put it on the, your plants. You put mm. it on the areas. So in this particular instance, I would apply the slug liquid onto the soil or onto the sleepers or, or just around the raised bed. As soon as the slugs come in contact with it, it kills them off. So even if they're crossing the grass or a pathway, if you apply the slug liquid there, it'll pick it up on their bodies and it'll kill them overnight. Okay. So you're not actually treating your plants. And of course, the thing with the slug liquid is it's invisible. So pets and children and so on won't see it. Right. But as soon as the slug crosses it, 
it picks it up in its body and that kills it off and autumn is a good time to tackle slugs because you're stopping the generation for next year rather than leaving them alone right. for the winter yeah. and tackling the problem next spring uh, it's a good idea to do it at this time of year the other thing to do with slugs and snails is to clean away any kind of leaf litter any sort of rubbish that's around the garden that they're hiding under you know tidy up the garden as yeah. well is a big way of reducing the slug population you know if there's leaf litter if there's bits of stems lying around that's where they're hiding and and uh, if you remove a lot of that and tidy up the garden, it does a lot. Right, to you, you might be, you might actually be facilita- facilitating <coughs> the minutes in a way if you don't yeah. have things of reasonably you are. neat and tidy. If you tidy things up a little bit, it, it makes a big okay. difference as well. Right, we, we, I know that we start with apples. There's a yeah. few apple tree questions. Are, yeah. Somebody uh, is wondering what to do with their apple trees. They planted last year just two apples in one, none on the other. They fed them with some of the, but some of the leaves were tipped with brown bits. Yeah. And they, but they also had great strawberries this year. Um, oh, what did they do with the foliage? Okay, well, well, well. To deal with the strawberry question, first mm. of all, yeah, it was a, it was a relatively good year for strawberries. Now is the time, and really, when you're picking the fruit in July and August, that's the time to cut back the foliage of of strawberries. So right. the idea with strawberries is you take the crop off, and then you cut back the foliage and stems and runners right to ground level, and they reshoot then over the autumn period. Mm. It's not too late to do that. So I would take this strawberry foliage, tidy it all back now, cut it back with within a couple of inches of soil level, and just you know remove any weeds and. Tidy up the area and leave it well enough alone for the for the winter. The strawberries will be brilliant again next next uh, summer. In terms of the apple trees, they're only in a year. You're lucky to get two apple yeah. trees, right? So, uh, you know, and, and trees, when they go in initially, they, in their formative years, they tend to do a lot of growing. And that's the time of year to be pruning them back in the winter, developing the shape of the tree. Um, and OK, if you get two apples or, or a handful of apples, that's an added bonus. Some some people will tell you to remove the apples. I generally don't. I, you know, let the apples, the few apples form. It's not going to damage the tree in any way, a young tree. But don't be surprised when you only get a couple of apples in the, in the first, second and maybe third year. Right. It does take a few years for the trees to settle down. The key things at this time of year is to feed them with potash because potash helps to induce flowering and fruiting for next year uh, and also keep the ground weed free. So make sure there's no grass or weeds around the base of, the, of your apple tree. So a nice clean circle of soil an application of sulphate of potash around the base of all fruiting trees at this time of year helps to induce flowering and fruiting for next year. And then as we go into November, any growth that it made this year, you prune back by 50%. So say your young apple tree put on two foot of growth, you take off at least 12 inches, maybe even 15 inches of growth. Prune it back because the first couple of years it's about getting a nice full head on the apple tree. So pruning back helps to induce new shoots, new branches for next year. Okay, so uh, as so don't you really were saying, don't be expecting miracles correct. on year one or two or even year three. Give yeah. it, give it a chance to get its get its bearings and get get its roots in. Yeah. and and more importantly, the first couple of years. I mean, an apple tree you're going to have it for for the next fifty or sixty mm. years. The important thing for the first couple of years is, is to get the shape of the tree right. So you want to end up with a nice clean stem of for about two or three feet and the nice bushy broad head on the apple tree. If they're not pruned back when they're young, you tend to get a very tall, lanky tree, which mm. is difficult to pick apples from, yeah. and uh, just doesn't have the, doesn't the branch have, structure right. that you need. The more yeah. branches you have on the plant, the more fruit you're going to get long term. So I would spend the first couple of years pruning them back in November to get a nice full shape on the plant, and then the, the, the apples will come particularly if you're feeding at this time of year with potash. So the listener has done nothing wrong. It's done very well, actually, for its first year. Um, so a little bit of potash now, keep the ground weed free. And then as we go into November, do some pruning with the, with the trees. And uh, that's all there's to it. 
Okay, great stuff. Now, somebody killed all the moss, as you said, with the iron. Great. Sulfate of well iron. Done. Super job. Great, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, but now the lawn is a bit patchy where the moss died and they're wondering, can they re- still re-sow it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can reseed. You can. September is actually a very good month to reseed. September, October, grass will germinate at 8, 10 degrees Celsius, which is perfect at the moment. So what I would simply do is, if, if the moss is very heavy, maybe give the lawn a light raking, uh, trim it, and then get some lawn seed, mix it up some, with some compost and literally brush it in, throw it onto the lawn and brush it into those bare patches within two weeks, three weeks. So by the early part of, no- of October, you'll see the young grass germinating and it'll actually grow over the winter period and knit in. The other thing you could do at this time of year is to feed with an autumn feed. So where you've taken out the dead moss and, and you're re-sowing, put on an autumn fertiliser because that will green the lawn without forcing it and it'll also be a form of nutrition for that young grass as it begins to germinate. So an application of autumn feed over the next week would be a very good idea as well. Okay, great. Now, uh, somebody tells us that they cleared out the tomatoes from their greenhouse and they great. wonder, is there any flower seeds that could be planted now or is it too late? No, no, not at all. And and I suppose we're coming to that time of year when, when you will be cleaning out the, the greenhouses, the, the tomatoes will be, you, they'll probably have another two weeks to ripen, two to three weeks. Right. And after that, it's time to clean them out. Um, what I would be thinking of are, you can certainly use the greenhouse and, and tunnels um, to sow seeds of anthraniums, which are the small little snapdragons, which are lovely. Uh, lobelia, you know the lobelia mm. that's grown in hanging baths and window baths? That can be tricky to sow. And, and people generally sow it in January and February indoors. But at this time of year, you've still got the ideal temperatures, particularly in a, in a greenhouse, to get the seed of lobelia to germinate. It then overwinters. You just leave it in the trays during the winter period and then you plant it into your containers in March and April next year. Uh, sweet pea. Sweet pea, we generally associate with the springtime, but actually the sowing of sweet pea, if you sow it in the autumn time, September, October, you'll get bigger flowers, uh, better plants and an earlier flowering period from sweet pea. So so the likes of sweet peas, anthraniums, lobelias, English marigolds, uh, anything that will tolerate a little bit of cold weather can be sown from seed at this time of year. So any of the hardy annuals, white alisum, for example, would be another very good one, candy tuft, uh, poached eggplant, uh, hollyhocks, lupins, all of those can be sown from seed. So simply get yourself a pot, fill it with compost, sow the seed in, sieve over a little bit of compost over the top of the pot, cover with some cling film and leave on a table in the mm. greenhouse until the seed germinates, which will take about two to three weeks. Right. And at that stage, you simply peel, peel back the uh, cling film and just let the seeds growing, grow on in the pots. There's no need to transplant them until probably February of next year. Okay. So you're just using the, as was the September temperatures to get the seeds to germinate. So I would look at things like sweet peas, Calendulas, which are the English marigolds, Lobelia would be good, Anthraniums, the snapdragons, lupins, hollyhocks, delphiniums, any of those can be sown from a seed. Shamrock. Shamrock, absolutely. Don't forget about the shamrock. Shamrock, yeah, for next March. Now is the time actually to sow the seed for shamrock if you want good plants for next season. The other thing the listener could do if the greenhouse is, if there's lots of space in it, Mm. is to plant up some bulbs. So some of the bulbs we talked about last week, tulips, daffodils, mm. you can put into pots at this time of year, keep them in the greenhouse, keep them well watered, put them in the greenhouse and you'll have them in flower a month to six weeks earlier than 
them, planting them out in the garden. And it's a great to have pots of tulips, say, in February or March. To You can then put them where you want yes, them to flower. Yeah. So um, hyacinths that we talked about last week that I, I recommend for the schools would be good to sow as well at this time of year. So there's lots of bulbs and seeds that still can be planted. Okay, gosh, that's kind of spoiled for choice no there excuse now, I'd to say. Leave it empty. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, somebody has a vegetable garden that's full of small weed seedlings, thousands of them from a weed with purple flowers. That's willow herb. Okay. Her, willow herb, I would imagine, yeah. So should yeah. I get rid of them now or in the spring? On what would you use? Well, I, first of all, I would get rid of them. Willow herb is, has, has, it grows about 18 inches to two feet in height. It's got purpley, lilac-y, purpley flowers in July, August, September, and the seed is forming now, and actually the seed is germinating now. So the, it sounds like willow herb, and, and where, where it casts its seed, you literally get a carpet of seedlings right. at this time of year, and they're winter hardy, so the winter weather won't kill them off. So it's a good idea to get rid of them now, because they're going to be a source of infection, particularly in the veg garden, for next year. So I would I would treat them with um, weed-free 360, apply that, uh, it'll work very quickly, within 10 days those uh, seedlings will die away and there won't be a source of infection for next year and the weed free 360 won't contaminate the vegetable soil so once it touches the soil it becomes neutralised so it'll kill the weeds without affecting the soil so there's no worries about putting in your potatoes and cabbage or whatever for next spring so that's willow herb and there's a lot of weeds a lot of uh, weed seedlings I suppose knocking around at the moment Um, you know weeds have Mm. kind of got ahead of people this year so they've benefited from that and and the the growing season so there's lots of seedlings knocking about at the moment And uh, willow herb is that has that a herb uh, kind of originally or No it's not it's just the name it It tends to grow in areas that willow likes to grow in so it it likes a kind of a moist soil it likes you'll often see it on river banks but you'll see it in wasteland and in vegetable gardens as well Uh, you know it's just one of those weeds that's very very prolific um, so it, now is the time to treat it because okay. it's that's next year's generation that you're looking at <laughs> so, I would so get, get rid, in now and I break, that, break that life cycle yeah, yeah. when is the right time to plant garlic and uh, where indoors or outside oh, no, outside outside garlic yeah. is uh, garlic is tough as old boots um, you buy it at this time of year and there's many different there's a couple of different varieties you can get depend, depending on the the uh, strength of garlic that you like right. <laughs> so you yeah. can get really strong varieties or very mild varieties but when you buy them it's like buying a clove from the from the supermarket it's a large bulb mm. and you break it up into the smaller cloves and you plant them like onion sets out of doors so maybe where you're taking out your potatoes at the moment or you're digging some other vegetables out of the garden that's the place to put garlic in and you simply so from one clove you, you or one clump you get about six or eight cloves yeah. you space them about eight to ten inches apart and just have the nibs of the garlic showing through the soil right. and that, and they'll start to grow yeah. over the next couple of months they'll start to grow particularly in mild periods during the winter and you'll get very strong bulbs of garlic then for July and August of next year so a good time to plant them the other thing you could be planting is Japanese onion sets the winter hardy uh, onion sets the red and the red skin variety mm. and um the, the yellow skin variety they're available as well to plant this time of year and, and are perfectly winter hardy Okay, we're not a million miles away now from Halloween. It'll be the next seasonal thing around Halloween, the corner. Yeah. Somebody's wondering, they've grown <clears throat> some pumpkin fruits from seed. Oh, very good. They yeah. sowed them in February and the fruits are forming. And what do they need to do now for larger pumpkins for Halloween? Well, um, first of all, well done. I mean, it's it's uh, and it's probably been a very good season for p- pumpkins because mm. they like plenty of moisture. What I would be doing um, is, first of all, take the fruit. The fruit should be a reasonable size now. You don't want it sitting on the soil because in contact with the 
soil, it runs a risk of rotting. Oh, right. So I would lift the individual fruitlets up onto uh, a slab, a piece of timber, right. a pot upside down, something that would lift it up off the ground and get let the air in around it. I'd also thin down the fruit. So on any one plant, you shouldn't have any more than two to three pumpkins. If you have any more than that, you're spreading the energy of the plant you know, too widely. Really. Correct. So reduce it down to possibly two, and remove some of the lower leaves on the pumpkin plant now to allow light to the fruit. Um, the other thing you could be doing is, is continue to feed it with a high potash feed. So something like one liquid feed or um, a tomato feed applied weekly onto the pumpkin plant will help to ripen the fruit as well. The key thing really is getting the fruit up off the wet soil. So a little bit of a pot or a board or a piece of uh, concrete underneath it just to lift it off and thin down the fruit just to two fruitlets and and feed it weekly and you should get great sized pumpkins for uh, for November. You can leave them out of doors, you know, they're hardy enough left out of doors and they'll still continue to grow and swell over the next couple of weeks. What, there's about eight weeks, is there six or eight weeks? Uh, yeah, let's say more Halloween. like six weeks. Six, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, six weeks. So, yeah, they'll, they could double in size. Oh, okay, so you could have nice yeah. good big jack-o'-lanterns or whatever yeah. it is. Lovely. We're going to take a quick break, Porrick. Uh, lots of questions still to come and you can keep them coming to us. Oh, eight seven nine hundred forty one forty one. if you're texting with thanks to C and C Cellular. We're switching your mobiles to Vodafone. Is easy at any of their nine stores around the region. Oh eight one eight three thousand fifty five. if you want to give us a call and garden at midwestradio.ie if you're using the email. Now, Park, we have a couple of rhubarb questions right. uh, and I, one of them actually came in on the email and there's pictures and the other one relates to wild rhubarb. Yeah, two different plants, Derek. Right, well, let's deal with the wild one first of okay. all. How would you kill wild rhubarb? Well, wild rhubarb is, is gunnera, which which uh, grows in, you'll see it grown wild in Ackle in particular. It's one of these escapees that came in as an ornamental oh, plant right. and, and really took to the west of Ireland in particular and, and has just grown really mad. And funny enough, the... the um, a lot of research has been done on Gunnera and I think Mayo County Council, if memory serves me right, have a, a scheme going on Clare Island to get rid of it. But what they're finding effective, and they've tried all sorts of treatments, is repeated use of Roundup is really the only thing. And I know people will say, well, I've tried the Roundup, but it hasn't worked. You need to repeat it. And this time of year, I think I mentioned this before in some of the other programmes, Weeds tend to be more susceptible because the natural energy is going back into the root of plants. Plants are slowing down now. Mm. The green pigment is dying back, is, is breaking up and returning to the roots. So weeds often, and particularly wild rhubarb, uh, tend to be more susceptible in the autumn time and, and tend to be more responsive to an application of, of weed killer. So you tend to find a better kill in the autumn simply because it takes the treatment once applied down back into the root as, they, as the weeds are dying back. So September, October is always a good time to treat weeds in general, but particularly the gunra uh, or the wild rhubarb. Now, it will reshoot again next spring and you need to be on top of it in April, early May. Um, what I have found useful is, is to treat gunra at this time of year with... Um, Roundup by Active, which is which is a, 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 a very fast-acting formulation of Roundup. In the spring, if the gunner is reshooting, apply a little bit of fertiliser around the base of it to just boost the, the, the growth in the gunner and make it soft. And in May, then, apply a second application 
of Roundup by Active. Uh, you may need to apply a third application, you know, at, at the end of next autumn, but that should see it on its way. So persevere with it. Um, research has shown that the glyphosate-based weed killers, which are Roundup-based weed killers, are effective on gunra, but it does need a couple of applications. Okay. And, so you know, stick with it and, 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 and persevere with it. Right, and you will get there. But You'll get there. But, but it, it does need, yeah. Yeah, one application just won't be sufficient. Now, us, from us. wild rhubarb, I suppose, is it to cultivated rhubarb? Yes. Is that, what we, is we that what we call it? Treat the two, two plants totally differently. <laughs> the rhubarb that we like. Yes. Um, so, attached are some photographs. Good morning to Elaine, um, who has sent us in an email, and some photographs of rhubarb from her mum's garden. The stalks have bruise-like marks on them and a clear gel-like substance. Um, and it's an ongoing problem over the years, and the rhubarb has been moved to different parts of the garden, but it still happens. And well, can you prevent it? You can, of course. Yeah. And moving it, moving it isn't, isn't the problem. Or, right. Or moving it isn't going to eradicate the problem. The, the issue here is a, a little pest called flea beetle which attacks rhubarb, both the foliage and stems of rhubarb. And you, what, you, what Elaine will notice is that the markings tend to be on the older stems so you won't get the markings on the younger stems so flea beetle tends to attack rhubarb april may june july sort of period it leaves little marks on the on the stems like red marks on the stems uh, of the plant and of course the sap then starts to ooze so what we're seeing is the the rhubarb sap reacting to the mark or the damage on the stems and just oozing out um so how do you eradicate it leave it alone for this year because the damage has been done it the, the, the stems can be still used now obviously if there's a lot of markings you know you, you won't use those particular yeah. sticks but if there's an occasional piece of marking on the stems the rhubarb in between or the stem in between that is perfectly safe to use um next spring as the rhubarb starts coming into growth apply a little bit of, of bug clear onto the foliage in april and may and that will that will uh, certainly control flea beetle. You may need to reapply it in July, uh, but you tend to get that damaging on stems, stalks that are left to stand for six or eight weeks. The flea beetle then just damages the stems and you get that red pigment and oozing of, of the stem. And it can also attack the foliage where you see those pin pin uh, hole, holes in the, the leaves of rhubarb. That's a sure indication you've got some flea beetle. It also attacks things like turnips as well. The right. foliage and turnips can be kind of pockmarked as mm. well. And that's a, a sign of flea beetle. So oh. it's a small shiny beetle um, and he's just enjoying the stems of he's just okay. having a little munch and really the, the gel like substance is really it, the inner a, it's the inner bit of the rhubarb coming out because course. he's damaged the Correct. outer part it's like cutting your finger you know it's yeah. just it, the sap will just ooze out of those areas um, so it's not you know it's not it's not a disease as such it's more physical pest. pest damage and something like bug clear now to be honest unless it's very bad I wouldn't normally bother spraying for it mm. because generally it produces such a Plenty, plenty of sticks um, that, you know, it shouldn't be a problem. You tend to notice it more in July, August sort of period because you've picked the first crop of a rhubarb. You may not have gone out back out in, to the crop in, over a month period and the older stems are showing that damage. Okay. And somebody else just, uh, and this is the last rhubarb question for the minute, uh, they pulled the last of the rhubarb in July. Now yeah. they have a new crop and they wonder, is it too late to use it? No, I, uh, well, <clears throat> you'd always hear me saying leave the rhubarb alone yeah. after July because it needs a period to grow back. But I mean, if you want to go out and, uh, you know, take a couple of stalks or stems, that's no harm. Mm. As long as you don't rob the whole plant of its uh, it, 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 stems and foliage so if you've got a rhubarb crop with six, six or eight stools certainly go out and maybe take 12 stems between the lot won't damage the, the, okay. the rhubarb whatsoever right but presumably if you did take an awful lot uh, of it, took, it's going to cost it next year of course it is yeah. you're, you're robbing the leaves and the stems of right. the plant you're taking the energy away from it um, so remember my tip from last week so it's 
the listener certainly can take eight or ten stems off the, the, the crop now, no problem whatsoever. Uh, as we go into November, December, as the, the crop dies back, cover one of the, the rhubarb uh, stools with a black bin and you get lovely fresh rhubarb then in January, February of next year. Yeah, I was... I was we were talking about that during Remember. the week, actually. Yeah, oh, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody done. They said they used to do that in their granny's house, Forcing. going back like yeah. sixty years ago, and they had an old tin bath, and the old tin bath used to be turned upside down, Perfect. and on the rhubarb patch, and that's why. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You force it, and you yeah. have it early. Now um, mm. we have lovely and, apples. And, and in the flea beetle won't be out. And the flea beetle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, somebody's wondering if they have tall apple trees. Can you get um, a long-handled tool to reach the apples? To you get can them indeed. Off? You can indeed. There's a, a fruit picker, which is exactly as the listener describes. It's a long-handled um, tool that that just clasps the the apple and and, and picks it for you. So yes, you can. Yes, okay. the answer is yes, you can. Um, now, a garden full of the orange flowers, Montbrisha. They've taken over. How do they get rid of them? There's hundreds of them. Yeah, it tends to do that, doesn't it? Mm. Montbrisha, Crocrosmia. Um, how do you, well, again, if you want to just kill it back, you can either dig it out, it'll, it'll dig out quite, it, it's grown from small bulbs. Yeah. So when you dig them out, there's little bulbous uh, bulbs at, at the base of the plant. So you can either dig it out, physically dig it out and remove it, or you can use something like the Wheat Free 360 applied now mm. will we'll kill Montbrisha as well, Crocrosmia. Yeah, it tends to get... You know, out of hand. It gets loose and, and yeah. tends to spread because it germinates from seed and also if you move the bulbs at all, you're transplanting the plant as well. Right. There's a lovely variety called um, Crocrosmia lucifer, as in the devil. I'm, so, I'm guessing that's very red, it's is it? It's bright, it's a brilliant red yeah. variety and uh, it's a nice, and it does, it's not as invasive. It does it, it spreads slightly, but certainly not to the same extent as the common Mount Brescia. So if you're thinking of putting in a, and it's beautiful at this time of year, like it's in full flower now at the moment. So that's one called Crocrosmia lucifer, far nicer variety, slightly taller than the, the common um, orange variety okay. and certainly doesn't spread. It behaves itself a lot, lot better. Okay. But certainly a little bit of weed-free 360 will eradicate that. Now, laurel hedging has turned yellow in places. Can you help? Well, yellowing in laurel, I, I, I think I mentioned this last week, is a sign that the, the laurel is hungry. Nitrogen. Yeah, it needs a, it needs a little bit of a feed now. So you could put on a little bit of Seamongus or um, Sudden Impact fertiliser and that'll help to green up the foliage. It's also the time of year to be tidying them back, to be trimming them back uh, and pruning them back. So a little bit of feeding now will certainly bring, will certainly bring the colour back in. Okay, now there one somebody's wondering what would kill ivy that is well established. It's growing through a hedge, and they're wondering does the golden privet shed its leaves in winter? Well, to, to dealing with the golden privet, well, privet in general, I th- again, I think we we, we touched on this last week. Um, and actually, I'm going to preface now before yeah. you answer the question because I think we have a second question of similar nature. Somebody also has creeping bindweed growing through a laurel hedge. So would we well, be tackling, tackling them both the same way? Yeah, well, ivy ivy and bindweed, people can often mix up. Bindweed is that, um, it's convolvulus. It's, it's, a, it's a creeping plant that wraps itself around uh, hedges in particular, laurel in particular mm. would be ideal or laylands or whatever and it scrambles up through it producing a white flower um, so that's bindweed and it grows very very rapidly and, and very quickly um, to treat that particularly where it's growing through a hedge I would use Roundup gel so I think I mentioned that last yes. week it's like hair gel it's sticky it's ready to go in the container and you simply just wipe it onto the leaf of the bindweed and it'll kill the bindweed without affecting the uh, hedge the only other way really would be to untangle the bindweed from the laurel plant and actually spread it on the ground and then treat it 
with uh, a Roundup round or Read 360 yeah. as a spray. But the gel you'll find very easy to use. You put a rubber glove on your hand, you just take the leaf of the weed and wipe the gel, the Roundup gel, onto the foliage of the weed and that kills it out without affecting the lore. If it's common ivy, which has a shiny green leaf, like, mm. like common ivy, which will be very slow growing, then I would use, um, I would use a brushwood killer and mix a little bit of washing up liquid through the brushwood killer and just apply it onto the leaf on the stems of the ivy. And most of the ivy would be at ground level. So that's where to apply it. Okay. Now... Oh, you, you could use the Roundup gel as well on the ivy on if the you ivy. want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But the Roundup gel, I suppose, really is for targeting. Targeting is the word, yeah. For, yeah. And, and remember, just <laughs> slip on the, the rubber glove first of all because you don't want that it getting on your hand or whatever. But it's a good way, yes, of targeting spot-treating weeds. Okay. Somebody has a bamboo and right. now it has started sprouting shoots and it's getting out of control. Right. <laughs> the bamboo is escaping. We need to get you a panda. <laughs> well, as they do, I mean, bamboo, uh, it's, a, it's a grass and it, and it, and it uh, spreads by underground stems. So, I mean, that's its natural methodology of, of uh, spreading and, and um, increasing its size. So, if the space is too small, you can certainly dig it up at this time of year and transplant it somewhere else or you can split the bamboo so you can divide it in two or three pieces and replant it somewhere else but that is the tendency of bamboo I mean it, it is a spreading ground spreading plant the, it, it grows by underground stems and it does need a fair bit of space the other thing you can do is to plant it into a large pot and sink the pot into the ground and the pot will help to restrict oh, the nice. bamboo from spreading. Oh, that's clever. Would be another way yeah. another way to do it. Now, that's not to say an odd stem won't escape here yeah, and there. But, but it should be mm, a bit more contained. Yeah, but bamboo by nature, the black bamboos and the yellow stem bamboos, they are spreading plants that produce their new growth from underground. And, um, you know, they're going to... In certainly within a couple of years at least double their size or treble their size so they do need space or else put them into a big pot and replant them back into the garden or else take off some of those side shoots and mm. transplant them somewhere else Okay. Now uh, is, there, is there a shortage of, of white um, hyacinths at the moment? Well, Somebody's uh, wondering, they're, they're finding it difficult to get them in the shops? Well, or? they can. Well, white hyacinths, because white isn't a very popular colour okay. in hyacinths, sometimes the garden centres won't stock just white. They tend to go for the blues and the pinks and the thing. But I think if you if shop around, you should. I'm not sure have we got them in stock, I suppose. Uh, but I will ch- I'll check that out and ring the, ring the caller back. Uh, but certainly, it's not because they're difficult to grow or anything like that. It's just that the colour white tends to be a colour that people don't look for. They look for the, the lovely purples and pinks and blues uh, but certainly I think if you shop around you will find the white hyacinths available somewhere Okay. or a lot of the packs tend to be sold, sold as mixed packs Oh, I see. You know, you yeah. get a, you know. I so see there will be some whites and blues and pinks, but there'll be tend to be a mixed pack. Um, and you don't really know which. Is well, you will. You will to the extent that the the, the white hyacinth, the bulb is white. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Okay. So there. Yeah. Go. Okay. Shows <laughs> I'm revealing how much I know about hyacinths, which is nothing. <laughs> but it just it's just that they they're not a very popular color. Right. White tends not to yeah. Be well, this person so. is looking for them for a specific reason. They're looking oh, for yeah. a grave, oh, uh, which right, is okay. yeah, which would be lovely. Well, look, at, I'll check that mm. out for you, and, and look, at, we we'd certainly be able to source them. Okay. Some white hyacinths. Now, someone has white mold on the top of the soil of their cheese plant and sweetheart ivy. Okay. It seems to have happened gradually since they moved to a newly built house three to four years ago. They do feed the plants. Could it be the water change, Margaret and Knock? Well, certainly mould mold on the surface of uh, Swiss cheese or any indoor plant certainly would be an, an indication of watering. What I would do simply is just take off two inches of the top layer of the soil. And Swiss cheese plants are very hungry plants anyway. They need repotting mm. nearly yearly. 
nearly yearly because they are a vigorous a vigorous uh, indoor plant. So I would just take the top two inches layer of the uh, compost off and just put down a fresh layer of, of uh, new compost or replant pot the plant and it'll be perfectly okay. Generally with Swiss cheese you allow them to dry between watering. So depending on the size of the pot it's in and, and how big the plant is, um, it certainly will probably want watering every two weeks at this time of year and they reduce that to about once a month then as we go into the winter period. Okay. Somebody's reminding us that when we're talking about the slug clear, I think as in the uh, liquid, liquid yeah. to remind listeners that it's not suitable for edible plants. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Don't don't put it on. And that's my point is you don't need to spray it on, on your plants and don't spray it on your plants um, because the slugs only need to cross it, they only need to touch it, they only need to pick it up in their body. So I would generally put it on the grass or on the sleepers or you can put it on the soil or you can put it on, you know, don't, don't spray it on your cabbage plants or your or your or uh, any of your edibles. Keep it off, just put it on the area where you feel the slugs. Or if you had, a, say, an old stone wall, that's generally where the slugs hide during the day. Spray it on it. Oh, right. Yeah, so you don't actually have to put it anywhere near where the plants you want to protect are. You just treat the areas where you feel the slugs are. So the pathways, the, the grass, whatever. And like I say, day like today actually would be ideal where it's dry and when they come out tonight then they just pick it up and it kills them and off. And right, yeah. okay, yeah. that's that's a good and idea. Do, and and follow, follow the instructions on the pack. It clearly states that not to put it on edible. I mean, you yeah. don't want to be spraying your prized cabbages with slug liquid. Yeah. Uh, do, would you know where you can get Beauty of Bath apple trees? Um, well, the the if we haven't got them in stock, we'd certainly source one for for the listener. Yeah. It's a great old variety, Beauty Bath, lovely red red apple. It's mm. a soft flesh variety, um, and and it's it's still available. So it's just a matter of. Um, um, I'll, I'll follow up actually with that caller okay, afterwards. That caller is a Ballina, we'll so we'll Pat and Ballina. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hunt one out for you. Um, and cutting, probably our last question at work, cutting from hydrangea taken last year, still in a pot, the flower bud is there, but only the flowers on the outside have opened up. Well, there there are different, first of all, there are different types of hydrangeas. There are what we call the lace cap hydrangeas, where only the outer florets open. So the flower is kind of flatter. So you have two different types of, you have a couple of different types of hydrangeas, but the two most common types are the mop head, which are the big, the big blousy ones. Yeah, right. And there is also the variety called lace cap, which is a flatter flower. And the florets or the flowers only open on the outer uh, probably half inch of the flower, so the inside of the of the flower doesn't open. So my guess is you've got a lace cap variety. Um, so and, and anyway, if it's a young plant, it's only a cutting. I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't let it flower. I would take the flower off, plant that plant out into the garden, give it plenty of space because you know the way hydrangeas grow. Mm-hmm. Put down some compost with them, some organic matter, some compost with them because they're hungry feeders. And really, for the next two or three years, it's about getting that hydrangea to produce lots of foliage, lots of stems, feed it well, look after it, and it'll settle down to flowering but do remember there are both mop head varieties and there are lace cap varieties and this sounds, sounds like, like a the lace latter. cap yeah okay that's it I'm afraid so just a reminder hedging weekend hedging this weekend, weekend in, in all the garden centres so in Westport Castlebar Sligo and Galway we have a special hedging weekend and we've got a fantastic crop of laurels a couple of thousand of them at, at uh, half price today and tomorrow uh, just as a thank you to listeners and to people in general and to get them back into the garden again. Okay, Park, thank you very much and we'll talk to you again next Saturday. Thanks. To all of you, thanks for listening and uh, I'll be back again next Saturday just after seven. Until then, have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Michael Neary is up after the news.